0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network,
1: your team every day.
0: Of all the teams dubbed contenders in the Pac-12 this season, who actually has the best chance to win the conference? Will any of those teams emerge as candidates for the college football playoff and actually be able to get there? And do we have a dark horse run in the Pac-12 underway in 2023? You never know. The Ultimate College Football Preview is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I'm Spencer McLaughlin, host of Locked On Pac-12 and Locked on Ducks. We've got JT Wistersill. He's the host of Locked On Utes. Roman Tomashov, our newest host here at Locked On Washington Huskies. And Mark Colkin of Locked On USC to talk about actual honest to goodness football. What a concept, gentlemen. And let's hop uh, right into it. So, uh, Mark, your Trojans are the favorites heading into this year. I think that's warranted. I think they should be. I think they win at least. 10 games this year, but down in USC country of the other teams that are seen as, you know, the biggest conference contenders, who do USC fans feel is the biggest threat?
2: No offense to either, you know, to the, to the two gentlemen here. Um, both Washington and Utah have to travel to LA this year, mm-hmm. and that gives a significant advantage to USC. We, Trojan fans are well aware that Utah is holding a little two-game win streak over their head right now. Um, there's, there's some nuance behind that, but, you know, they'll, they'll wear that chip on their shoulder all season long until Utah arrives. Uh, and again, with Washington, um, they have the offensive firepower to play. Uh, USC, I think, has a little bit more exponential firepower to play, and it starts with Caleb Williams. And, and that's really the difference between – that'll be the difference in those games. So I spoke to someone earlier who might or might not know something about Oregon football. And I I explained to him that the reason why I consider Oregon, I guess, the biggest threat preventing USC from going undefeated this season is that it's in Eugene. And for whatever reason, uh, Oregon fans and Oregon, they they wear that same chip that, that USC might be wearing on their shoulder this year when it comes to playing USC. They want to believe uh, that they are at USC's level. Offensively, I think Oregon has the firepower. Um, I don't know if they have the defense. And I know that's USC's big question mark. But I, I don't know if Oregon has a defense to, to stop USC from scoring enough, even if even though it's at home.
0: Well, you know, what, one thing I wonder about, Mark, is how styles factor into that, because Oregon's defense has made improvements, uh, to be sure, but it still has to play out on the field and deliver actual tangible results. But they, I think across the board, have upgraded their personnel in just about every area from a season ago, most notably safety and along the defensive line. But I wonder when you look at a team like like Washington, Roman, they're not going to be a team like Oregon or Utah, I feel... Could control the game in a sense and try to run the ball, manage the clock a bit more and play defense by playing ball control offense is Washington's only path to beating USC in that game down in Los Angeles. Is it just to score more points, win in a shootout and hope the ball bounces your way?
3: Not necessarily. There's going to be some, there were some upgrades made on the defensive side of the ball. They're bringing in uh, cornerback Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State, who looks really good. He's a really fluid mover. I uh, just came from Washington's first practice earlier today, and he looks a lot better now, a lot more comfortable in the defense than he did in the spring. And obviously, yeah, there's there's a factor of the offense that needs to be considered because when Washington wants to control the ball and run the ball, they can't. They're bringing in another transfer for Mississippi State, Dylan Johnson, who just looks like a different kind of beast at running back compared to some of the guys they had last year. And Spencer, with respect to Oregon's defense, as long as Tosh Lupoy is calling plays, I'm not gonna be all that worried about what's going on on that side of the ball down there. But yeah, when it, when it comes to uh, Washington's defense, there have been strides that have been made. one Ylafocio is gonna be healthy uh, assumingly for the majority of the season this year after missing. Um, half of 2021 and the majority of 2022 with a couple of different injuries. And he's been the leader. He's been the captain for three or four years at this point on the defensive side of the ball. So getting him back is going to do wonders for a defense that, while it allowed a lot of yards in 2022, the point differential and uh, the points per game that they allowed were kind of middle of the road. They really weren't as bad as some people think.
0: One of the best defenses in the conference a year ago belonged to Utah. JT Wistersill locked on Utes. We're talking about Pac-12 contenders. The Utes are the two-time defending champions. And as is par for the course, JT, we haven't mentioned Utah yet. We've talked about other teams first because Utah is once again just flying under the radar compared to everybody else. But they bring, I think, their own unique style uh to all of these sorts of games and i think their matchups with with oregon and washington and usc are fascinating ones because they are different they're not a team that wants to drop back and throw it 35 to 40 times now i don't think oregon is either but i think they're more willing to do it if you look at like the washington state game a year ago than uh th- than utah would be willing to do the utes are much more you know 12 11 personnel one back play action sort of game but how do you see Utah figuring into the Pac-12 championship picture this year with probably of the four teams we have represented here? And we should factor in uh, UCLA and Oregon State, which we will in just a moment. But Utah might have the toughest schedule in conference and out of conference of, ever, of anybody in the, in the league this season
4: yeah they have a brutal schedule but i believe they have the best top to bottom roster in the pac 12 overall i understand that could be a hot take and you don't have the quarterbacks to the level of you guys do i do think bo Nix, michael Penix, and caleb williams are all better but let's not act like cam rising hasn't won back-to-back pac 12 championships he's not going to be the guy who's on SportsCenter center pretty much ever almost for the type of thrower the play he makes but he is clutch he's the guy who powered in the two-point conversion to give utah that early season win against usc he's a guy who steps up in the moment you got Multiple key returners on both sides of the ball, and Utah is in a very fortunate position where they lost Dalton Kincaid, so obviously that really hurts. But Brant Keithy, who over the body of work, the totality that the career he's put together, is still probably the best tight end in Utah football history overall. So I feel like they're from a roster standpoint, it's the best in the Pac 12. I think they're deep on both sides of the ball. Losing Clark Phillips hurts, but I do think they have depth. At the cornerback room, with the second and third best guy coming back, and brought in transfers and young players as well to be able to overcome that. Utah's schedule is brutal, but to your point, Spencer, I think Utah's absolutely going to be in this race at the end of the season, and of course they're being overlooked because you even have Mark, who Utah beat him twice last season, and he still doesn't even consider us the biggest <laughs> threat. Well,
2: I just know that Utah was doing nothing to stop USC until Caleb pulled up a hamstring in the fir- in the first time around. Well, the first time around, we can talk about the nuance in the context if you want. We can talk about the depth that USC didn't have on defense last year and came this close to making the playoffs Mm -hmm. and the improvements they've made in the offseason through the transfer portal addressing those issues. Now, if Utah can't keep up with USC offensively this year in L.A., yeah, I'm going to keep the receipts.
0: So, Mark, when, when JT said that Utah's got the best roster in in the Pac-12 right now, you you didn't seem to take very kindly to that. And USC has made a couple noticeable upgrades, in theory, at least, on paper, uh, along the defensive line, kind of like my, my Oregon Ducks uh, have done a, as well. Bear Alexander, Anthony Lucas, former high four five-star recruits at Georgia and Texas A&M, respectively, do you expect the Trojans' defense to take that step forward to where, if they're just, if they're if they're just average, if if they're just competent and they're not relying on turnovers all the time to get stops, it feels like the Pac-12 championship is USC's to lose given the offensive firepower that they have. But it's still a question that remains to be answered. So, how do you see those guys or other newcomers factoring in to bolster the Trojans' defense?
2: So, like like you said, the USC's. Defense last year pretty much consisted of creating turnovers. And they led the nation on that. Their, their plus-minus ratio was just a crazy number. But they, they addressed the issue of not having enough depth, being big and physical enough at the line. And, you know, they brought in Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, Bear Alexander from Georgia, Keon Bars from Arizona, Jack Sullivan from Purdue. They addressed more depth at the linebacker position with Mason Cobb. From Oklahoma State. And I go back to, to the point you just made. If USC's defense is just average, that you know, I'm you take USC with just an average defense and they're above average offense, that's a winning combination in today's college football world.
0: Yeah, it it, it can be, but that question still, you know, remains to be seen. But Roman Thomas locked on Huskies. Washington's offense is set up to be probably the second most prolific, at least through the air. Uh, maybe not on the ground necessarily, but coming into this season, they led the nation in in passing yards. At least Michael Penix did a, a season ago. You've got a talented trio of of wide receivers that really I, I think we, we've talked about this before the Husky receivers go frankly four or five deep when you factor in a guy like uh, Jeremy Bernard it is coming over from uh, from Michigan State this offseason Roman Dunze and then Jalen Polk Jalen McMillan coming back with uh, with Michael Penix this year how do you feel about the Huskies weapons as they try to keep up with the, the other teams that are that are represented in this chat or the other ones uh, as well that can have some potent offenses in the Pac-12 where do you think the Huskies stack up offensively
3: I, I think they can match up with basically anybody. There there really is truly an argument to be made that Washington's wide receiver room is as good as Ohio State's if you really want to just cut the brass tacks there. Because yeah, you can you can match up Roma Dunze and Marvin Harrison Jr. however you want. I obviously I know that's a bit of a hot take there, but then you look at Jalen McMillan who's also coming back. He I think you also, have to
0: have Marvin Harrison number one.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not okay. I'm not gonna do that. But when you when you look at the numbers, at the end of the year last year, they really weren't all that different. And then you can look at McMillan, who also went for over 1,000 yards. Jalen Polk had nearly 700 on about 40 catches. And then you bring in Jeremy Bernard, who just – Kalen DeBoer and wide receiver coach Jamarkey Shepard have done nothing but rave about what Jeremy Bernard can do. And then they also have – the the one guy you miss, Spencer, that I just love to talk about whenever I can is uh, wide receiver Denzel Boston, who's a red shirt freshman. He uh, got some time in the Oregon game last year, played – the four games last year to preserve the red shirt, and he just looks like an animal. And the way he's just got the, he's about 6'4, has the speed to go along with it. He also looks like a guy that can contribute. I talked a little bit about um, running back Dylan Johnson and bringing back Cameron Davis, who was, i, I the, the numbers escape me right now, but for a while was the, the conference leader in total touchdowns last year. And bringing him back along with Arizona State transfer, Daniel Ongada at running back, they really just can match up with anybody at any skill position. And that's, you know, even including tight end where, Spencer, you like to talk about Jack Culp. We can, you know, separate them this time around. <laughs> Jack Westover and Devin Culp. So yeah. th- those two quite guys. The are, though, quite they, the
0: hybrid player, though. Quite the I, hybrid player.
3: Yeah, Like I told you last time, you put those two dudes together, you get the best tight end, you know, in the country. But um, yeah, no, seriously, they really do have a, a, a group of skill players that can stack up with not only anybody in the conference, but anybody in the nation as well.
0: Yeah, I think we all agree that these four teams, Oregon, Utah, Washington, USC, all are going to be, they are the betting favorites right now and are going to be contenders this year. I think where UCLA and Oregon State, uh, you know, fit into the equation is an interesting question to ask because oregon stayed off a 10-win season it's kind of a you know show me year it's a prove it year or was that a one-year flash in the pan are you gonna regress back go eight and four seven and five or can they notch a 10-win regular season this year can they really really pop i think both those teams are interesting to say the least i'm higher on the bees than than the bruins personally i don't know how you guys are kind of shaking out on on all that sort of stuff but i i just have questions about ucla's uh, quarterback room but let's uh let's let's wrap this up real quick with this who wins the pac-12 in in 2023 will go around all start and look my oregon fans out there might annihilate me for going in this direction but i do think it'll end up being usc who they play in the pac-12 title game will probably come down to tiebreakers but i'm i'm going chalk here and going with the trojans because i think lincoln riley and caleb williams are really good jt locked on use your pick
4: I think you said it best tiebreakers are the name of the game. I think the Pac-12 is going to cannibalize itself a little bit. We'll see multiple losses in conference because of that and Utah's brutal schedule. They will be able to slip back into the Pac-12 championship in part because they went to the Coliseum and were able to beat USC and they will 3 as Pac-12
0: champions. Mm, JT going with going with his Utes. Uh, I think we know that Mark is going to pick USC to go like 75-0 and this season. <laughs> so I don't know if we even need to go there. But uh, Roman, do you think your Huskies get it done this year or uh, do you like somebody else? Who wins the PAC 12 in 2023?
3: You know what? I'm the ultimate jinx, but I'm going to say it anyways. I do really think that this is the year Washington gets over the hump, even with, with the expectations that they had around the program last year to go 11 and two, that is no small feat bringing everybody back, bringing in extra players to supplement the offense and the defense. Yeah. The schedule is going to be a lot tougher this year. But they get Oregon at home. Yeah, they have to go to USC. I think that's the one game they end up dropping in the regular season. But with the way the, the Pac-12 kind of is every single year, like you said, JT, I do think the Huskies can end up making the Pac-12 championship game this year
0: and will prevail. Could someone make a dark horse run this season in the Pac-12? We tackle that on the Ultimate College Football Preview on Locked On Pac-12. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business, like evaluating expansion candidates for your conference, and you, like conferences across America, wanna be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available, that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. So go in there, create a free job post in minutes, super simple, add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn number one, That's new uno in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors linkedin jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster post your job for free at linkedin.com locked on college that's linkedin.com locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply
5: all state wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere especially during march your eyes are on the road but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket
0: Richie Bradshaw is here of Locked On Arizona State Sun Devils, as is Zach anderson Yoxheimer of Locked On UCLA Bruins, talking about whether or not a dark horse run can emerge this season for a Pac-12 championship. Zach, I want to start with you. Your team, UCLA, has got the highest win total of the contenders that aren't the contenders that being uh, a team outside of the top four that that i think are are correct in usc and then some order of utah oregon and and washington but the bruins are in there with a win total of eight and a half are they an actual contender in there is it actually a dark horse run if ucla were to appear in the pac-12 championship game It would be somewhat similar to last year, right? 2022, the Bruins had this great start,
6: came down to this game against Oregon, where it seems like how the schedule lines up, you get an early Utah game. If the Bruins can run that table in the beginning, they're going to get that same hype. Although there's more question marks about veteran pieces and replacements, where if all those can get answered by week one, week two, then the Bruins might be sitting pretty and might actually contend for this thing in the last year that they're in the Pac-12, right? So can they do all that? That's a big if. There's a lot of question marks. If they all can get answered mostly by the time they play Utah and they survive that test in Salt Lake City, watch out.
0: Yeah, the good news for UCLA is that their non-conference schedule since Michigan bailed on them in 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 the home and home series they'd set up is not particularly hard their toughest game is when they go to snapdragon stadium to play san diego state but they will have a real opportunity there to work out all the kinks in the offense that's moving on from dorian thompson robinson at quarterback and zach charbonnet at at running back and they bring in carson Steele at running back j michael sturdivant the receiver maliki matzava the tight end from uh, from oregon martin sturdivant came over from cal i like his game quite a bit. He was a highly sought after recruit. And I think he could be the Bruins number one receiver this year. But I think that's kind of the upside for them, Zach, is that they have three games where they're going to be the favorite and where if they go 3-0, and they'll have a lot of momentum going into conference play. They will need it for that conference opener at Utah that is going to be a tough game to win. But if they come out of their 3-1 and and played Utah tough, I don't think it's you know the the least likely thing per se i'm i'm kind of down on the bruins this year broadly speaking but i don't think it's the least likely thing in the world to say they could surprise some people if they build up that momentum play utah tough maybe even beat the Utes. they could set themselves up with the way their schedule shakes out in conference play it's very favorable it is very favorable they don't get the the
6: oregon's the washington's of the world i know ucla fans will say They were beating down Washington heading into the fourth quarter last year in the Rose Bowl. But avoiding those two is significant. You get your two toughest games, arguably, in conference play at the beginning and basically at the end. If they can win a lot of those games in the middle, they will have a good season. And it looks like if they have the favorable
0: matchups, they absolutely will. Richie Bradshaw locked on Sun Devils. They pulled an upset a year ago that ended up preventing Washington from getting to the Pac-12 championship game, maybe even the college football playoff if they'd been able to beat USC uh, in Las Vegas in the Pac-12 title game. I don't think anybody saw that game coming. The same team that beat Washington lost to Stanford 15-14, which is going to cause Richie probably to jump off this show and go bang his head into the wall a couple times, but what do you expect from arizona state this year and do they have the potential to pull that level of an upset again because they play a lot of big time teams they play utah they play washington they play oregon can arizona state be a team they play ucla as well that pulls one of those upsets this year in what is widely considered
1: a rebuild in year one under kenny dillingham you know what i've been really down on this team and i've been somebody who has said you know A four-win season would be really good. You know, there's a lot of new moving parts, and this is going to be a long year. It's going to be a difficult year, but it was going to be a team that would be fun to watch, and it was a team that was going to be competitive in all 12 games, regardless of who they're playing, and if we're being honest, if you look at that schedule, it's a gauntlet. There is a lot of really good teams, both in and out of conference, that Arizona State has to play this year. Four wins would be awesome, but here's the thing is there – the coaches, the players, everyone around them is saying the right things. They look good in practice, all sorts of good stuff. Will you execute? Who knows? But right now they've got me me feeling excited for what they can do. And to me, if you can pull off an upset last year against a Washington team that, like you said, very well could have been a playoff team if they were able to get the win versus us and beat USC in the uh, Pac-12 title game, if you can pull something off like that when you're that low of a team, I don't see any reason why you can't do it when you become a more motivated team and you become a more driven team and you have a unit that is buying into this new culture and this new standard that Kenny Dillingham is setting. You look at everything around Arizona State, everything is revitalized. They've had that hashtag activate the valley to get everybody to rally behind Arizona State Sun Devils football and to get people to buy in to the new future and the new era that Dillingham is bringing here. If everything is truly going to go the way that we're saying it's going to go, all the things that they're saying end up panning out, I could see an upset. I totally could, especially because there's going to be eight games at home for Arizona State this year. Two-thirds of their schedule is being played in Tempe. That is quite the advantage that you're going to have over teams like USC and Oregon who have to travel down here to play. Like, this is going to be the perfect culmination for Arizona State to pull off upsets. If it's going to happen, it's going to be in Tempe, and it's going to be in in a game where everything goes right and the, the atmosphere and the fans are able to buy into the program. And it could be a year where we get the first staple win of the Kenny Dillingham era
0: one team that can't get left out of the conversation of i don't know if it's necessarily a dark horse run to the pac-12 championship but i think they're kind of caught in the middle given where they've been historically as a program and where they're trying to go that's oregon state their win total like ucla is eight and a half i think the beeves i'm higher on them than i am on on the bruins going into 2023 dj yungle i think ups their quarterback production from what they had a season ago they had some key defensive losses but I think their defensive coordinator is really, really smart and they still have good players uh, like Oladipo, the safety there on, on the back end. So I think when you look at what Oregon state is capable of, yeah, I, I can see a world given their favorable schedule in which they miss USC and they get Utah at home. Those are the sorts of breaks you have to have to, I think, to, to have a favorable schedule to reach the PAC 12 championship game. But Zach, what do you feel about the Beavs going into this year? Cause it's kind of a, what are you year? was that 10 win season a flash in the pan? Was it random? Are they going to look back and relish in, you know, the, the spoils of that season for the next five years, thinking back of what was, or are they building something into, you know, a a conference contender year in and, and year out, regardless of what league they end up playing in, in, in the future.
6: Imagine last year if they had, like, extremely good quarterback play. How much we would have been talking about Oregon State coming into this year. They would have beaten USC. They would have been so, so fun to talk about. And they would have been the hype train coming into 2023. Oregon State, mind you, I believe the research stadium, uh, renovations, that's all going to make a big impact in terms of their home environment. You've got a team where they sit there and they've got games kind of like UCLA, but games where they're maybe not favored or these kind of toss-up games where whoever wins those toss-up games can make a big difference as to who's the dark horse, right? UCLA, Oregon State, kind of that similar level playing field, needing some answers at quarterback, maybe one replacing a veteran, the other one replacing the likes of, hey, we need some actual quarterback play. If they get that, keep that defensive intensity up. You win a toss-up game, all you need is some belief. Next thing you know, they're going to be that dark horse and that contender in the blink of an eye.
0: Yeah, and I look at a team like Oregon State and say, I can see them being a Pac-12 contender this year, but it's hard for me to predict it because they just haven't proven it yet. And when a team is unproven, I think it's fair to ask the question, are they going to be able to actually get it done? If you haven't seen it happen before, I think it is fair to question whether or not they they can actually do it. But they are going for what would be a first in program history it's only the third time they've ever won 10 or more games they've never won 10 or more games in consecutive seasons so I I I think when you look at what they're trying to do it is a pivotal moment for for their program to try and establish themselves as a perennial top 25 team or better in in the college football landscape but uh, Richie Bradshaw locked on Sun Devils I want to toss this back to you real quick if you end to pick a team from what I've kind of dubbed for the last couple months, the right column teams, because when you look at the, the win totals going into this year, there are the left column teams. Those are your six contenders. And then you have your right column teams. And that includes Washington State, win total of six and a half. Cal, win total of five and a half. Both Arizona schools, win total of, of four and a half. Colorado is at three and a half and Stanford down at the bottom of the conference at, at two and a half.
1: Which of those schools intrigues you the most going into 2023? As much as I hate to say it, and I mean, this really kills me to say it, but Arizona at four and a half feels really interesting. They've got a lot of pieces on offense. You look mm-hmm. at T McMillan, you look at Jacob Cowling, you look at uh, Jaden Dolores coming back, and he can he can air it out for sure. If he can cut down on the turnovers – that could be an offense in the top half of the of the conference from there you're going to be looking at their defense to be able to step up but you know Jetfish has done a really good job recruiting they're bringing in some talented guys that can hopefully get that's out of the ball caught up to them. They had five wins last year they were really close to a couple other wins as well they were they were a team on the verge of a bowl game they are not a team that should be slept on this year and oh my god i'm just killing myself talking about this (laughs) i i do not like saying positive things about
0: i know it pains richie to say it but that's how you know it's 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 legitimate and you know zach we've had these conversations about kind of the the other teams in the pack and yet we haven't mentioned colorado yet because they may be the most intriguing team to outside sources but Internally, I think we all have pretty tempered expectations for the Buffs. I think they're a three or four win team uh, going into this year, but they're going to be, it's very NFL-esque in that they are not going to be a good team, but they're going to be interesting. Usually bad college teams are like Colorado last year. They're bad. They're uninteresting, right? Or like uh, Arizona in 2021, they're bad. They're not interesting yet. But in the NFL, you can have bad teams that are fun to watch. The Colts this year with Anthony Richardson might not be good, but I want to see what he is. He, he's, he's going to, you know, get my attention in that sense. Colorado to the outside world is the most interesting low-level Pac-12 team. I don't think that's much of a hot take, but what do you think the Buffs can do this year? Can they make any kind of noise? You know, I, I might border on controversial, but I just, I just don't buy it this
6: year. I'm not making this an indictment on Deion Sanders. I do think it actually might work in years after this. But in 2023, I just don't see, despite adding all the academic requirements, making it easier for players to come in and transfer, it's not going to work year one. If it works year one, college football might blow up. That You can just erase an entire roster that was terrible, bring in so many new guys, and then all of a sudden become good in one year. I just don't believe it's going to happen it depends what we mean by good. If they are a six, seven win team. Okay. That would be fun, exciting, but we've seen what the championship odds of Colorado are so sky high in terms of the betting odds that are ridiculous right now. I just don't buy the hype. I probably won't watch many Colorado games this year in terms of just sheer interest. I don't see it this year, but in years future, that's when my year, my, my eyes, my ears, they'll peak a little more
1: interest. Just not this year. Richie, your thoughts on Colorado. Look, I, I think Zach nailed it. it. It's a really fun team. You look at all the adis- all the additions, uh, Shadir Sanders, a quarterback. They got Kamani McLean. They got Travis Hunter in the secondary. It sounds like Hunter's going to get involved on offense. Like they're adding all the pieces that would generate the excitement. But the problem is you could execute this at Jackson State. Can you execute this in a power five team? That is Colorado. That is coming off of just terrible years in the Pac-12 and in, in recency They are continually a bottom-dweller team short of a handful of years where they were able to make some noise, but this is not a program that is known for winning, and this is going to be an uphill battle for Deion Sanders. He can recruit his you-know-what off and get a lot of kids to the program. They've got five-star kids. They they have, like, the former number-one prospect from Alabama that transferred there. I can't remember his name, but there's a lot of really intriguing talent here, but will you be able to get the most out of it in year one? I don't know if it, if it does end up culminating together, this feels like a two, maybe three year kind of buildup to get to a point where you are that 10 win team. Ideally, I do think that like, if you were to get six wins this year, that would be so beyond outstanding considering what they've been the last two years, that would be the biggest warm welcome and a massive way for Deion Sanders to start his tenure at Colorado. Will the Pac-12 have playoff representation this season? That's next on the Ultimate College Football
0: Preview on Locked on Pac-12. Well, it's still summer in large swaths of the country and you want to have your bird dog shorts ready for whatever occasion that may be going on a hike, a walk, the beach, the golf course, wherever you can take your bird dog shorts, you can have a good time. Bird dog shorts make you look good with their stretch khaki shorts, which are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. They fit better than regular shorts too, which are made of a stiff, restricting Cotton. So go get your next order today. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on college for a free white tech hat with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college or promo code locked on college for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you. So go get your next order today.
5: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket.
0: All right, let's talk about that college football playoff now this much to my chagrin is the last year of the 14 playoff we're going to go to 12. i'm going to throw up talking about that even further so let's focus on this season the pac-12 hasn't been there since washington got into the playoff in the 2016 season so it's been seven years since our beloved conference of champions which may not be long for the road is, is has, has been able to send a team to contend for a national championship at, at the at the end of the year i think you look at all four of these teams and look i can draw up a path because of schedule because of program pedigree and the teams that that are going into this 2023 season and say i could see oregon doing it i could see utah doing it i could see washington do it i could see usc doing it i don't think i can put oregon state or ucla in that conversation just yet but jt wist is still locked on Utes. I, I just think that the fact that I can plausibly think of a world in which any of these four schools here, Oregon, Utah, Washington, USC, make the playoff, that's why I just keep coming back to, I think we pull a Pac-12, and it's just, it's too poetic. In the final year of the conference, as is, either as we know it or maybe ever, it's too poetic for the Pac-12 to just, too good and have a bunch of really good teams but not a dominant team to get into the playoff
4: it's too poetic and i totally agree i just think it's going to be in so many years the bad these Pac-12 teams have had, like one team's had the really good team has had the bad loss, right? Well, this year, I don't think there will be bad losses. I just think everyone's going to have like a good loss. Like, for example, Utah, if they lose at Washington, if they lose at Oregon State, that knocks you out of the college football playoff. Even speaking of Utah, let's not even talk about the Pac-12 schedule. Utah in their non-conference, they host Florida at home and then they go to Baylor. That's a really tough way to start the season when there are questions about Cam Rising's health, too. So, I think it's going to be really challenging for the conference to get a team in the playoff this year. I think Utah especially has a tough path, but I I will say this i think because of how stacked the pac-12 is multiple teams if they were able to go 11 and 1 and be a conference champion would get into the college football playoff this year because of the strength schedule
0: mark colkin locked on usc you like the trojans to go undefeated this year so any qualms about them uh getting to the playoff i couldn't see them being an unbeaten conference champion and not getting in that would be unprecedented but you feel that usc can make the playoff why
2: yeah look when you they're already going to be a, a very highly preseason ranked team, so that they have that going for them. They have the front end of their schedule that's going to allow them to ramp up to the back end of the schedule, so they'll go into that six and zero. And Caleb Williams, he has that Heisman, but for all of us who watched that Heisman ceremony, the thing that mattered to him most were the three quarterbacks that were sitting in front of him that were playing in the playoffs last year. That's his goal. That's his only goal. And USC is a team right now that I've seen this movie before. They, they got so close last year. And right now to be able to close it out, the Pac-12, take it into the big conference as a conference champion into the playoffs. Uh, to me, that's how Hollywood was meant to be. So, yeah, uh, they've done enough during the offseason to shore up what kept them out of the playoffs last year. I've been going through practices, I talk to these players. Um, They don't like to talk about it publicly, but when the camera's turned off, uh, they know where everybody's gonna be watching. The defense has an idea of what needs to be done. Last year was the first year in the system. And you know that when you take over a program, you have to change the culture. Utah came into the Coliseum and ran rapshot on them. Oregon State came in and and ran uh, ran on them. Everybody came in when USC was down. USC is a type of program that remembers that. So when they have the opportunity to put their foot on somebody else's neck, like a Utah, that's what they can anticipate.
0: Gotta get the nails, get the nails. Bring me the nails, I want the nails. Um, Mark over here talking like the Game of Thrones, the North remembers, that's USC. (laughs) They're the South, but you know, they remember. So. Roman Tomashoff locked on Huskies. The dogs last year, in retrospect, missed out on a Pac-12 championship and potential college football playoff berth because of a loss to a three and nine Arizona State team in the most in the most classic Pac-12 needs to complete Ugh. its circle of suck every year. I'm sorry to bring it up, but this is just the world that we live I, in right now. See,
3: I also just wanna throw in the, the Rose Bowl, thanks to USC. Which, you know, if, if, they, <laughs> if they close that out, Washington goes back to the Rose Bowl, but that's a whole separate
0: Oh, that's a good add. point. That I, I, I'd i kind of forgotten about that, that if USC goes to the playoff, Washington would have gotten the Rose Bowl. Instead, they got the Alamo Bowl and they got to get revenge against their old coach and uh, Steve Sarkeesian over there at uh, at Texas. But Washington has a path to the playoff. Their schedule is sufficient from a, a toughness standpoint. I don't think that Michigan State is going to be a great team this year, but If you have a power five road game, if you go in and win it handily, the way that the betting markets expect them to, and then you go through and have no more than one loss in your conference schedule, and you win the Pac-12, that will put you, in my view, into the college football playoff, no questions asked, because history tells you if you're a one loss or undefeated power five conference champion, you're getting into the 14 playoff. They have never been left out before. Help is always granted to those who hold their own, as I like to say. So as you look at this season for for the Huskies, they were you know, under the radar. I don't think a lot of people, certainly not myself, expected them to win 11 games in, in 2022. How do they follow that up this year and try to make an even better season after a successful first year under Kalen DeBoer?
3: No, that's a great question, because we as the local media did also not think that they were gonna go 11-2 last season. But no, that, that's, a, a, like I said, that's a great question, because. They Like you said, against Arizona State, they were one bad bounce away from getting to the Pac-12 championship and potentially getting to that next step just in Kalen DeBoer's first season. And like Mark alluded to, all these players, they know what the goal is. They know that this is the reason that they came back. Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Michael Penix, Braylon Trice, Zion Tupouola Fatui, even Troy Fautonu probably could have gone to the draft. But all these guys, all their top players, all-conference, uh, Trice and Adunze have been preseason All-Americans by on uh, basically every single list. These guys were all united in the message as this job is not finished. We are all coming back for one singular goal, and that's, that seems to have just been the messaging that the coaching staff, the, the leaders in the locker room have been portraying all spring, all summer, and as we move into fall camp. That has been the single goal is we know what we need to do. We are coming back to make the playoff and to make a run. And that just with this team and with the talent and what this coaching staff showed that they can do last season. I I really don't want to bet against them at this point.
0: You know, the reason that I keep coming back to the Pac-12 struggling to get a team into the playoff is the depth of the conference and that you have a lot of really good teams like these four you have oregon state which i think can be a really good team ucla is going to be respectable i could see arizona or uh, washington state surprising people pulling an upset or you know my newly beloved california golden bears who i've been bullish on since the month of march and i'm just going to say single-handedly move the betting line according to our friends at uh fanduel so i think when you look at where the conference is at right now going into this awesome, exciting football season that I think we're all really excited for. The crazy thing to frame this discussion, JT, is between one of these four programs, Oregon, Utah, Washington, USC, and I put USC last on purpose. But (laughs) when you look at those four, one of them most likely is going to end the regular season with three losses. So, Like somebody probably has to and that with where the expectations are of every fan base across the conference and of all these schools that we're talking about here is a crazy thing to think about but it has to happen to somebody it seems
4: it does have to happen to someone and as much as it pains me to say this it could absolutely be utah let's look at what utah did last year they lost their three biggest road games last year they lost at florida they lost at ucla they lost at oregon this year, there is a very real possibility they could lose at Oregon State on a short week. They could then later on the season go and lose at USC and at Washington. And that's without even bringing up. They, look, they've been really strong at home. Utah hasn't lost a true home game since 2018. But this year you get an Oregon team coming in that's going to be hungry and could be playing for something on the line late in the season too. And we always mention the potential of those other Pac-12 losses that pop up. Like Arizona, Utah has to go to Arizona. That's a much different game than the last few years when they've played Arizona as well. So it's going to be extremely challenging for any of these teams to make the college football playoff as we've all been discussing here. But I definitely think there's a path for multiple teams. And even as much as it pains me to say it, the road's probably the toughest for Utah just because of those road games. And, I mean, you even get a stretch in your season where you go, like I said, to USC then you come back and play Oregon the next week. So if you get any injuries against USC, you're in a lot of trouble for that Oregon home game. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mark's out here playing the playing the violin. I don't think he's up for JT's uh, sob story on the schedule because the back half of USC schedule, I have long interpreted as a message from the conference to the Trojans of, hey, schmucks, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so when USC is trying to make the playoff this year mark Colkin have locked on usc they're going to play every team that is in here plus ucla plus notre dame and that's th- th- those five games right there i think they're going to be fine against ucla they've got them at home no dtr I-, I think that'll be fine for the trojans but in those five games they have to find a way to go four and one and then win the Pac-12 championship to make the playoff. How does
2: USC accomplish that? So I'm gonna actually play devil's advocate to the whole four and one argument, because with USC, it's it's not so much what they do, it's the perception of who they're beating. And we're all here, we're talking up our programs, and they, we anticipate all of our programs to be really good this year. But does the rest of the country see those same teams outside of USC in the same light? And I bring up 2008 as the example. USC went 11-1. and won. They lost one game on the road at Oregon State. The same weekend, Tim Tebow's Florida team lost at home to Mississippi State. The difference in that season, Tim Tebow got up on national TV, cried and said, I'll never let that happen again. Florida and Oklahoma ended up playing in the national championship game. USC, which had probably the greatest defense, in the last 20 years, that they held teams under 10 points per game. They were held out of the BCS championship game. So you had two teams only available then, you have four now. The Pac 12 is perceived as less of a conference than the other conferences.
0: Mm, but I think the national narrative around the conference is that it is going to be very strong this year, and there should be five teams in the preseason AP top 25. And they have, and, 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 don't forget this, Mark. Spencer, The Pac-12 is the only conference in America that has six teams, half the league, with a preseason win total of eight and a half or higher. Nobody else has that.
2: Vegas loves that stat. I don't. I have history on my side. And that's why, you know, we all have our opinions. We might not always be right, but we're never wrong.
4: Spencer, can I really quick point out that Mark played the violin for me, but then can... Proceeded to complain about it you
2: <laughs> think it <was> so <laughs> <laughs> This is why everybody else is trying to find the money.
0: Well, you know, the world has historically been against USC, ball. as as we all know, and every Pac-12 fan base will agree. The world has just been set up to to try and screw USC in every way possible. So, Roman, it- yeah, go ahead.
2: No, why is USC leaving the conference? I mean we can touch on
0: that real well short. that's a that's a four and a half hour conversation now, as an opener and then an eight hour conversation that ensues after so to rather than stay
2: in the pac 12.
0: yeah well that we can thank larry scott for that but <laughs> rome and the huskies are going to be in that same predicament that, that every contender that oregon's going to be in right oregon plays utah oregon state usc and washington everybody's got to avoid slip-ups And i would watch for teams like washington state cal or arizona to pull an upset of of one of these teams somewhere i i think it is more than possible i don't know about likely depends on the matchups and the games and how you know injuries play out and and everything like that but as washington looks at it they've got the michigan state game they've got the oregon game the utah game the oregon state game as well that they have to play in corvallis which is tough they have to play at usc they do get washington state at home in the apple cup this season but how does washington navigate all those tough games while avoiding you know slip-ups elsewhere to you know an arizona arizona state or somebody like that or a cal who's given washington troubles in the past before if you avoid all those slip-ups how do you go through all those tough games with just one loss what does it look like for washington what do they need to do
3: so the good thing is the majority of the teams that they do normally have those slip ups, those Chris Peterson just kind of over uh, overconfident, overestimate somebody, and uh, you know they just they come in and beat you. Most of those games are at home. The only one they have to go on the road for that I would really worry about outside of you know the Arizona one is Stanford because it's just you know every single team has just experienced some kind of hell when they when they go play at Stanford.
0: Yeah, but Stanford's bad.
3: Yeah, that's true, but you know there's there's just mayhem that happens. That's down true. There part, that's true. Arizona State
0: was bad last year, so exactly. it, yeah, that's true.
3: Exactly. But the the thing that I I point to, which is really going to define the season, is yeah, playing Oregon is going to be hard. But both teams have a bye going into that week, and it's going to be at home for Washington, which is going to be a big factor there. That place is going to be rocking, especially if they get through the first month. Um, unscathed, but really what it's going to be that is going to define the season is those three weeks where it's at USC, Utah at home, and then at Oregon state, that is going to be the definition of the season, because if they go two and one or three and zero oh through that, that stretch, we're going to be looking at this season and just saying, yeah, this is what these players are talking about. This is what that, that United front that that goal was all about. But if they, you know, they slip up at USC somehow come back and you know are able to pull off a victory at home against Utah but then they go back on the road and you know just just have trouble and slip again in Corvallis it's that that will be just kind of what everyone is looking at at the end of the year and just saying oh if if they didn't make the playoff or make that run that stretch right there in November is why
0: let's play hot potato real quick and say yes or no the Pack 12 will get into the playoff i say no jt you say no mark Yes. Roman? Yes. Ooh, we got an even split on making the playoff this year. Roman likes the Huskies, I, I I imagine. No
2: confidence?
0: Well, you know, someone has to be right, and Mark has to be wrong. So we'll just have <laughs> to see how it how it all plays out. JT Wizards are still locked on Utes. Roman Tomashoff locked on Huskies. Mark Colkin locked on USC. I'm Spencer McLaughlin locked on Pac-12 and locked on Duck.
6: Now that you know who the players are for the Pac-12, join me, Caroline Fenton, as we break down who makes the college football playoff and who will ultimately win it all. Go to Locked On Pac-12 wherever you get your podcasts for this bonus episode of the Ultimate College Football Preview.
2: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.